Welcome to you wherever you're listening to this Health and Safety Executive podcast from me, Mick Ord, and our soon-to-be-announced guest experts. This podcast will be the first in a series designed to help you to make your life a little easier, both in work and maybe even spilling over into your personal life, you never know. The Health and Safety Executive is committed to improving the health and well-being of workers in Great Britain, and today we'll be focusing on the construction sector a key industry that employs more than 2 million people and includes employers and building workers, contractors and subcontractors, staff and freelancers alike in a range of organisations from sole traders to multinationals. Last year in the UK alone, 40,000 construction workers suffered from injuries and aches, pain and discomfort in joints, muscles and bones. Such injuries can have a serious impact on their ability to perform tasks, their quality of life, and in some cases, their ability to stay in work and earn a living, or having to take time off work as well. Many people suffer from long-term pain and discomfort as a result of injuries sustained on building sites. So, with such worrying stats in mind, the HSE are embarking on the Work Right Construction Campaign. This means that HSE inspectors will be performing a 1,000 inspections at building sites in the UK. So, what will they be expecting from companies? Well, joining us is Matt Bertels, an ergonomics expert from the HSE's Science Division. And a little later, we'll be hearing from Peter Crosland, the National Civil Engineering Director at SECA, the Civil Engineering Contractors Association. Well, first of all, Matt, thanks for joining us for the podcast. What should companies expect? if an inspector does visit their site. First and foremost, thank you, Mick, for hosting us and having us on this podcast. When an inspector comes a knocking on site, first and foremost, expect the norm. So they'll be looking at safety as well as health issues. But what's happening during the campaign especially is there'll be an increased focus on particularly the kinds of risk factors associated with musculoskeletal disorders. So there's been an awful lot of effort ahead of this campaign within you know, my regulatory colleagues in HSE to train them up on understanding the key risk factors for musculoskeletal disorders, how to assess them, and what kind of controls they might want to see in place. And so when the inspector does come, they'll be looking at the kinds of manual handling activities and maybe some repetitive work that commonly go on in construction sites and looking specifically at ways in which the risks are controlled. So there may be some of that manual handling activity happening during the inspection and they'll just observe that and watch how it's done, where potentially improvements could be made and also looking at the paperwork and the risk management system. If there aren't any manual handling operations happening at the time of the inspection, they're just more likely to ask principal contractors or ask those on site responsible for safety about manual handling and ask them to show them their risk management systems, any risk assessments they have, any planned risk controls, especially at those points where you'd expect increased manual handling. So moving materials around during delivery, for example, during fitting or moving plant equipment. And so just an increased focus on uh, musculoskeletal disorders in every inspection for the next six weeks or so. 
And who specifically is the Your Health, Your Future campaign aimed at? The target really is anybody involved in construction. And so while obviously anybody on the site, uh, you're more likely to see our colleague inspectors or regulatory colleagues, we'll be looking at those involved in the design and then planning of construction and procurement, for example, and then certainly those on the managing sites and working on sites and doing the physical tasks on sites. And it's aimed at larger construction sites or smaller. And so we're going to try and uh, focus on as many sites as we possibly can and as great variance as possible. But everybody has a responsibility for helping to manage MSDs or musculoskeletal disorders. And why the focus now on the manual handling assessment? Well, manual handling assessment, it's got easier over the years with the uh, advent of the HSE tools like the MAC tool or manual handling assessment charts or the RAP tool risk assessment for pushing and pulling. So, you know, barrows and the like. Manual handling assessment has got much easier. And while doing an assessment using the tile method or L23 method, and all, all the methods that involved uh, a checklist of looking at all the different risk factors, it could be quite arduous and not necessarily give you the answers that would lead immediately to potential solutions. Now with the Mac tool, which is not new, it's, there's nothing new in the Mac tool per se, it's much easier to actually do a quick assessment and wherever identifying manual handling operations, it's very quick and easy now, even using the online version, which is the new element of all this, I suppose to do a quick assessment and understand the key risks and level of risk. And so the barriers have gone for potentially, arguably, long and arduous risk assessments. It's now very straightforward to do a risk assessment. And so it shouldn't be a barrier anymore. And how serious is the problem of injuries sustained in moving and handling construction materials? Inevitably, being who I am, where I'm from, I'm going to say very, but actually the stats do add up. As you mentioned, 40,000 injuries per year on average in the construction sector. If you compare that to other industries or the rest of all industry, you kind of almost got double the rates of musculoskeletal disorder amongst construction workers. So while across injury, we might see, roughly speaking, about one in 100 workers getting injured with musculoskeletal disorder, in construction, it's around one in 50. So about 54% of ill health for the construction sector is musculoskeletal disorders. So it's far too common and affects uh, far too many lives. Then the other way of looking at how serious it is, is what's the impact on individuals and per individual what happens to that person. And we may cover this a bit later, but it can affect every aspect of life. Of course, as you've mentioned, it, it can impact on your ability to actually go to work and earn a living, but also it can impact on your home activity, mucking around with your kids, the enjoyment you might get from normal stuff like going down the pub, going to the cinema and those sorts of things. Because of the nature of the discomfort with MSDs, it can actually affect your ability to stand and make that uncomfortable, but also your ability to sit down and make that uncomfortable. So in those sorts of areas, it becomes very serious because it can really deeply impact on people's health and well-being, not just in work, but also outside of work. Peter Crosland from Seeker. Peter, have you got some examples of the kind of injuries that workers have sustained and the actual impact it's had on their lives? Well, yes, uh, thanks, Mick. And I think, uh, yes, all too often uh, we get examples of people who have worked in the industry for a long time and then suddenly become unable to work. And coincidentally, I was at a meeting this morning up in the northeast where 
one of the previous site supervisors, had worked for 20 years laying curbs and actually had a, a back that was quite wrecked. And he really was in a quite a difficult place. And I think we just hear that story all too often. So one of the problems has been the latency effect of all these issues coming to the surface. And I have to say that given the nature of our workforce, which is, you, I think we'll all know the demographics by now, they've been banded around you know, many times, that there are a, a cohort of people who have carried out those activities and are now suffering uh, really quite badly. And they're having to move jobs. They're having to step down away from the work that they really, you know, they joined the industry to do. And they can no longer carry out those functions. And as Matt says, that then starts to spill over into home life. And it affects the quality of life of not only the worker, but also the family. And in that particular example that you've just quoted from the Northeast, is there anything that you can do to help that particular person if they've been manual handling in a certain way for 20 or so years? This is probably going to sound slightly negative, but I think sometimes we are a little bit reactive in the industry rather than proactive. Unfortunately, you have a whole host of workers who have operated in a, a slightly cavalier manner. Perhaps they didn't know better. And then as, in, as we have known, and certainly Matt's team have discovered through the statistics, that actually this is what's happening to the workforce. And therefore, we need to go and find ways of making sure that that doesn't happen again. And I think you can cite examples right the way throughout all the activities that certainly we were involved in, whereby you know, we're always looking to see how we can improve matters for every worker. Matt. With regard to the HSE visits, will companies be given prior notice or will you just turn up? Generally, we'll just turn up. There's not a, a specific requirement to give a prior notice. It may well be that a site's already got a plan inspection or a meeting with a regulatory colleague, and that will then turn into a and, and muscular disorders focused inspection. But unless you've got already something planned in the next six weeks with a red colleague, now expect them to just turn up unannounced. How are the construction sites chosen beforehand? Well, no sites are exempt. So any site could be visited by a red colleague. Inspectors generally visit sites that are known to be higher risk. And there is some intel on that. There's a number of ways of identifying the sites to visit. The F10 notification database that we have on sites where we've had incidents before, perhaps. And sites where some concerns have already been brought to our attention through various means, or sites perhaps where they've received riddle accident reforms or they've had riddle reportable accidents in the past that have not previously been selected for investigation. There'll be some channeling with that, along with sort of local intelligence as well, knowing where their sites are. But the sites, there's no specific uh, requirement or desire to pick just on small or just on uh, larger sites. Any site could be visited, to be perfectly honest. And what does the law say about what employers need to do to protect their workforce? There are various laws. I suppose the one that's most specific to this campaign is the Manual Handling Operations Regulations. It's relatively straightforward, to be honest. Um, in fact, if you ask any of my inspector colleagues, where I'm from in, in HSC, it's our privilege to often train them. I imagine most inspector colleagues will say one of three words, and that's avoid, assess, reduce. So the law pertaining to manual handling is 
avoid hazardous operations. Now that's important. It doesn't say avoid manual handling anywhere in the law. In fact, good manual handling is actually good for you. It does keep you fit, keep you muscular, and potentially there's research that suggests you may live longer. So don't avoid all manual handling, but avoid hazardous operations wherever you possibly can. But if you can't avoid then you have this manual handling, then we don't immediately, you know, uh, put in a claim or something. We assess those hazards. We assess the risk using usually the MAC tool and the RAP tool initially, and that's a five-minute task. It'll take longer to, you know, find it on the website maybe than actually to do an assessment. But I promise you the second assessment you do will take five minutes. And then you assess those tasks to understand the risk in order to reduce the risk. And this is where the rubber really hits the road in terms of risk management. We can have lots of really nice, in, in terms of the Mac and the RAP tool, very colourful assessments, but unless they're used to actually challenge the tasks and make those tasks easier to risk reduction by making the jobs easier, then it's just from the paperwork. So avoid, assess and reduce risk is what it's all about. And Peter, what are the barriers to employers and workers on sites? I think there uh, there are many uh, barriers, but I think it depends what what uh, type of site that you're looking at. What we find within Seeker, particularly, uh, we have a very broad church of members, so ranging from tier ones through to SMEs, almost down to sole practitioners in some cases, although they're not uh, direct members because we do have limits on that. But I think one of the barriers will be for those, I would say, down the supply chain to be able to access the information and training that they need to carry out the work properly. So, you know, we've already mentioned the fact that, yes, there is a a legal requirement and there are others that apply as well, obviously, not least the 74 Health and Safety at Work Act. You know, we have uh, employers have a duty of care. So regardless of where those people are in the supply chain, there is somebody responsible for that person. I actually, a bit like Matt, I split the, uh, the sort of desires into three parts really there is a, a sort of like a must do a should do and a could do and that's where the barriers are really because most do apply the must because it is a legal requirement obviously there is the should which perhaps includes specific training around those lifting requirements that might generate those msds but actually then there's the could you know what could clients and organizations do to really help the workers make sure that they don't suffer or are made ill through their work so things like that would be uh, really trying to engage with them almost a one-to-one job specific level to say well look this is what we've got to do how do you think we're going to do it and i don't think that happens often enough and matt what do employers need to know and do now prior to the possible visits Look at the risk management systems they've got in place. That may be occasionally dusting those off or just making sure that they're up to date. And so that means looking at the paperwork they've got in terms of a local policy, a local approach to uh, managing musculoskeletal disorders, having a look at the risk assessments that they've already done and do they still match the tasks? One of the things obviously about construction is the ever-changing environment. So do they need updating and do you need to re-challenge some of the work has done? It may have changed since the last assessment. And again, I absolutely agree with what Peter just said. Through engagement with the workers, who obviously the colleagues who are actually doing the work know what's changing in the environment better than any of us. 
have a chat with them to make sure that the risk assessments are covering the right tasks in terms of you know risk profile or effectively are they the hardest tasks that the uh, the people on the sites would prefer to avoid if they can are they looking at the right tasks and if not maybe add to the risk assessments make sure that you're assessing those tasks that are identified through engagement as the ones that potentially have the greatest level of risk and then look again at the solutions they've got in place you know download those higher catalogs and and have a look at what's available and perhaps challenge what is being done is there anything that can be done on the sites that uh, would avoid or eliminate some of the heavier activity by putting things on wheels or using mechanical aids so just sharpen things up i'm sure you know majority of sites have got risk management in place just make sure that that's ready because they're the sort of things that the inspector colleagues will be asking for when they do come around. And Peter, you've already mentioned that the guidance is relevant to small builders as well as large builders. What about subcontractors? Well, that's even a, a more difficult to, nut to crack, I think. And it's really trying to get that message right throughout this the supply chain. So I don't think there's any easy answer to this. We certainly within Seeker and also working with uh, HSE, it's very difficult to try and get a common message out to all of the industry. And almost by saying that, each part of the industry also almost needs a specific message as well. So we do really work quite hard at trying to get the right message to the right people at the right time. And obviously, small builders, small organisations are part of that uh, conundrum, if you like. So uh, certainly not an easy uh, answer there, Mick, and I think we're all searching for that uh, holy grail in being able to, uh, as I say, do exactly that, get the right message to the right people at the right time. I concur. That is a challenge, isn't it? Getting the message to the smaller enterprises and the refurb kind of sites is a challenge. While largely the messages are the same for those sites, proportionality and practicability may mean that the kinds of solutions we'd expect to see or hope to see on the smaller sites would be far less than those on the larger. There's just not enough money washing around to go to the higher companies and get the larger solutions. And so we have to be quite pragmatic about what we should expect, but the guidance is still relevant. It's just proportionally, we may expect a little bit less in terms of expenditure on you know the various solutions that are out there for smaller sites. If a company doesn't satisfy the criteria laid out by the inspector, then what are the penalties, Matt? Obviously, it depends, and it's always going to be proportionate to level of risk. Um, And so we'd look at the circumstances at each campaign inspection individually. We'll be looking at the relevant standards, the relevant working practices, You know, see how uh, far we are from good practices, for example. Using HC's enforcement management model, which standardises enforcement activity across any sector anywhere, and looking at the enforcement policy, it could be that, you know, generally speaking, for lower level breaches, verbal advice or perhaps maybe a, a notice contravention, a letter will be used in some circumstances where the gap from good practice or the levels of risk that aren't managed are a bit higher. It could be improvement notice. And yes, it could be a prohibition notice where there's a more significant uh, risk in, involved. So we would expect it to be, you know, across the range of potential enforcements, but as far as I'm aware, there's not a target to you know suddenly increase the number of prohibition notices or something to be guided by the risk assessments. And will the inspectors be speaking to individual workers on site? 
Yes, I mean, not to try and catch them out or anything, not to try and point any fingers of blame at any, indivi- any individual, but a part of risk management is making sure that individuals understand the kinds of risks they're exposed to and have been you know, informed about levels of risk of certain tasks, have been informed on how to use safe operation procedures, and that could be how to use plant equipment or mechanical aids, for example, and also be informed about the end of any risk management processes once we've fixed everything we can through mechanical means and engineering risk out we'll always have some residual risk at the end that we mop up with training and so just to find out how well the trainings work the manual handling training for example has it landed has it been successful has it changed behavior we'd find that out from talking to individuals on site not trying to pick up on the individual or point a finger and blame anybody but just to get the general picture of how risk is managed on that site they certainly could be, yeah. And is there anything in particular that individual workers will be expected to know? Yes, I think in terms of risk communication, the kinds of risk factors that they're exposed to on that site or the key risk, the higher risk activities, what they may be, and how they should accommodate them through RAMs or through safe operating procedures. We would expect anybody on site to know who they need to speak to if they see any issues that of concern for near misreporting or for you know just reporting a potential hazardous activity which can happen we all humans make errors and we always see something a bit wrong where would we go to report that and what would the expectations be on any site and then yeah absolutely just the general health and safety training in manual handling training for example god forbid they are quoting hse sentences that we use we've taken a lot of the words that are given in manual handling training and made them far less fun so it certainly wouldn't be a an examination can you quote our particular guidance but the general kind of approach to practices you know when was the last time that they were sort of reminded of those approaches and did it land those are the kind of things we do want people to know about so that they are empowered as peter mentioned for that that level of engagement is important and that's kind of what we're looking at there to make sure that that side of engagement is happening successfully. And how will you know if the campaign has been a success? How will you measure its success? Well, this is the first year of a multi-year campaign targeting ill health in construction. So we'll measure the impact of this campaign using the information gathered by inspectors while they're on site. Things like material breach rates or the number of inspections that leads to finding material breaches will be one metric. And then others regarding awareness and behavior change as best we can based on observation. You know, how many sites do we leave having made a, an immediate impact or a subsequent impact in terms of behavior changes? But because this is the first campaign in the sector targeting MSDs in quite a while, one of the core objectives of this whole campaign is to provide a detailed knowledge of the state of play across the sector to allow HSE to adapt its approach in subsequent years on how best to support employers and protect workers in the construction industry. So a lot of the work is going to be about what was effective, and that's going to really channel our efforts in future years as we run the next year of the campaign. And I guess that's something that you would echo as well, Peter Crosland, yeah? Absolutely. We can't solve the issue of MSDs in in one fell swoop. As Matt says, it's an ongoing process. MSD issues have taken a long time to surface. Hopefully it won't take as long to resolve. But as we become 
more aware of the issues. And also, I think particularly not to, not to miss out on the fact that we're becoming aware of workers' presenteeism. So even if they are actually suffering with an MSD because of the financial crisis that we're running through and have been running through for a while, you know, people feel compelled to go to work. So they're forcing themselves to work when they are not actually maybe running at 90%. So we need to keep on top of MSDs. And certainly, as Matt outlined right at the start, we did some work about five years ago to try and identify the financial cost of MSDs in terms of ill health to the industry. And we worked out it was around about 75% mark. So you know, when you then compare it to the likes of occupational asthma, silicosis, asbestosis, occupational dermatitis, uh, noise-induced hearing loss, etc., MSDs are simply huge. So it really is, and pleased to hear you know, what Matt said, that it is part of an ongoing campaign that will be repeated on a regular basis. Well, look, gentlemen, thanks a lot for that. Anyone listening needs to go onto the HSE site, don't they, if they want a little bit more information about the tools that are available for them and all the stuff you've spoken about. So Peter Crosland from Seeker and Matt Bertels from the HSE Science Division, many, many thanks for joining us on the HSE podcast today. Thanks very much indeed. Yeah, thank you, mate.